0: to
1: Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Carrie, for meeting with me. And um, I've, I looked at your website a little bit. Um, org Is that what it is? That's right. So I read a little bit about you, um, so I'm I know you're kind of used to the, the business of um, writing and articles and stuff like that. And, right. I and love that. Um, but what caught my interest about you is um, just in the, the church meeting a day or two ago, um, you were mentioning um, evangelism and just your um, things that you do in evangelism that uh, just really struck my interest, and I wanted to talk with you more about that, but first of all, who are you um, you know Tell us a little bit about yourself
0: well, um, I belong to the lord jesus christ he he bought me and paid for me with his death on the cross, and I went from being uh, spiritually dead to spiritually alive uh, when I was seventeen uh, a man thrust Ephesians 2 8 9 in front of my face uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast and that uh, totally uh, revolutionized my view of God because prior to that I thought that salvation was a joint venture I had even gone forward in a church meeting hearing the message Christ died for your sins eternal life's a free gift now just give him your life so I thought that that Christ would do part and I would do part, and unfortunately, that's the muddy message that a lot of people hear. Uh, Often, kid some of my uh, Baptist friends, I say, you know, you give them the, the message of grace in the in the in the in the sermon, but then you take it away in the invitation. <laughs> so that's where I was. I was very uh, confused, uh, and I finally realized that when Christ died on the cross and said, "It is finished," he wasn't kidding. Our salvation is totally completely dependent on him alone, and there's nothing I can add, uh not even the tiniest thing and thank God for that, because if it depended on me, it would fail
1: so when you say take it away in the invitation, you mean because you're asked to do something
0: yeah like like you know, give your life to christ they 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 don't distinguish a lot of times between uh, the old Princeton theologians more than a hundred years ago had the three Ps, uh, three senses of salvation. And, and the first one was uh, when Christ died on the cross and paid for our sins, he delivered us from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. And, and, and that is available by faith alone in Christ alone. You know, John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you're delivered from the penalty of sin the moment you believe in Christ. Then... As you submit to Christ, Christ not only promised eternal life, he promised abundant life. And so as you submit to him, and why wouldn't you? He's the source of all life to begin with. Uh, As you submit to him and you're filled with his agenda, filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're an ambassador for Christ, then you experience deliverance from the power of sin, the second P. And then, of course, when you when you die and and leave this body, you go to be in the presence of God, then you're delivered from the presence of sin. So you have the three Ps. But when you fail to distinguish between being delivered from the power of sin, I mean the penalty of sin and the power of sin, and you meld them together, you end up with, with a uh, works for salvation type of message that, you know, you're, you're, Christ died for your sins, uh, but at the same time, you've got to follow him in discipleship. Now, there are two crosses, one is the cross that Christ died on, where he said it is finished. And then the other cross is the cross of discipleship, where he said, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Those are two distinct crosses. And if we try to meld them together to make them the same, then we end up you know, trying to work our way to heaven through Christ. But still, we're trying to depend on yourself in some way. Uh, Christ, the, the, the cross of Christ cost him everything. And of course, the discipleship cross, it's related to the cross of Christ. That's the foundation of, of sanctification. But then sanctification is the fruit of justification when, but, but not every believer submits to Christ. I mean, let's face it, we have two books in the Bible called the Corinthians and uh, Paul calls them. He says, you're my beloved brethren, but he says, you're carnal. You walk like men. They were, um, when an unbeliever, when a believer is, walking after or quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit and and walking according to their own desires, they look just like an unbeliever. And it doesn't mean they're not justified. It means they're going to experience God's loving divine discipline uh, in order to remind them. Like Paul did, he said, Don't you know who you are? Uh, Your your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now start acting like it. Because that's what happens as Christians. We forget who we are and we need to preach the gospel of it is finished every day to ourselves, every day, because we easily forget who God has made us and the fact that we don't have to look for love and acceptance outside of God himself.
1: A couple of thoughts came to mind as you were talking. One is, um, could sometimes um, the, um, you know, so we have Christ and then it's a response of faith but could sometimes um, that response look like, um, you know, the taking up of one's cross or something like that? For example, uh, Jesus told the, the rich young ruler, um, you know, sell all your stuff and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So, um, And he said, what must I do to inherit?
0: Okay, there's a lot of debate over that passage among scholars. And the question is whether that is a justification request or whether that's a discipleship request. And I'm leaning toward the discipleship request, I think, uh, because there's an inheritance part of our salvation that, like Peter says, is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away. Every believer gets that inheritance. But there's also... Uh, an inheritance part that we can lose. And and in 1 Corinthians 3, you know, uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, be careful how you build. Christ is the foundation, but you can have gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hand stubble. There is a judgment for believers not to determine their destiny, but to determine their place in his kingdom. And so you can have a lot of wood, hand, stubble, a lot of waste as a Christian being out of fellowship and doing things your own way. And, uh, Jesus promised, remember that even a cup of cold water will given in his name is going to be rewarded. Rewards are often a very neglected part of Bible teaching because you can lose rewards in God's kingdom. You cannot lose your birthright. It's just like the same thing. You know, when I was growing up, uh and everybody has the same experience. Uh, once I, you know, exited my mother's birth canal, I'm her son, no matter how I behave. It's a birth. I cannot undo a, a physical birth. I could wake up t- tomorrow and say, you know, my mother's really not my mother and my dad is not my dad. That wouldn't change. I mean, I'm confused and mixed up. That wouldn't change the fact that I'm their son. But if I Obey my father and mother when I'm a young child. I'm going to enjoy their blessings, right? But if I disobey, they're going to lovingly discipline me. Just like Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Because God wants the best for His children. He wants us to function in this life as effective ambassadors for His kingdom. And on top of that, He's going to reward us in, 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 when His kingdom actually comes to this earth with uh, places of responsibility. Uh, there. Remember the parable of, and this means Jesus is not politically correct for our generation. Uh, several parables, remember, where he gave one man 10 talents and, and another one five and the one one, and the one who had one went and hit it. The one who had 10 uh, was productive and the five. So he took the one that hit it, he took that talent and gave it to the one who had 10, so because of faithfulness. So if we're just merely faithful with what God has given us, he's going to reward us in this life and the next.
1: The, okay, the, the, the situation with the talents. Now, the one who had um, just won and wasn't faithful. Now, his outcome was not good after that. In that story, is he like cast into darkness or something along those lines? Mm-hmm. So it seems like this isn't just... um we're all in, but some are going to be rewarded, some are not. It seems like well, maybe we're not all in you know it's something
0: that, again that's a often often uh, these reward parables and passages are often interpreted as loss of salvation um, again i i without without doing some more detailed study uh, that term outer darkness, i believe if you research it was used for, you know, like great embarrassment. Uh, It's not often people equate that with with hell. (laughs) But remember, in the ancient world, you didn't have electric lighting. (laughs) So remember the the other parable where uh, he's inviting people to the wedding feast, Mm -hmm. and and then one guy shows up without the right kind of bridal garment or, or whatever, and he's cast out into outer darkness. Well, he goes outside of the, the lit room. He's now in the darkness of the street or whatever. It, it's not, you know, a lot of people equate that with hell. I don't. So uh, a really good book on these type of things. Uh, uh, there's one by Jody Dillo, And uh, it's called Rain. Let me see. He changed the title. Uh, the old title is Rain of the Servant Kings. And then he updated that and I cannot remember the name of the new book, but if you if you Google Reign of the Servant Kings by Jody Dello, you he he deals a lot with these reward passages, and another one is by Zane Hodges called Absolutely Free: A Biblical Response to Lordship Salvation. Uh, Zane taught uh, seminary at Dallas Seminary for about twenty years, taught New Testament Greek, and he's a real scholar. And of course, that was the book that Zonifan authorize him to write in response to John MacArthur's book um, called The Gospel According to Jesus, which I often call the Gospel According to John MacArthur because he's mm. what they do is they redefine faith as everything in the kitchen sink in terms of discipleship. I love Martin Luther's definition of saving faith. The hand of the beggar reaching out to receive the gift. In other words, the nature of saving faith is not dealing with the quality of the faith, the continuity of the faith, uh it, it's merely the mustard seed, it's the childlike faith. And I can believe I I'm, I'm holding uh a glass of water in my hands. Well, and, and and I can believe that this this glass or this water container that I'm holding is a god and is going to save me eternally. I mean, if I was in India, that might not be too much of a stretch because they make a god out of anything. Mm-hmm. But but I take the same faith and now I place it in Christ alone. And now it's efficacious. It's effective because Christ can save. So it's not, it's not the quality of my faith. It's that little tiny faith, that mustard seed faith in Christ. That's why Jesus said you have to enter his kingdom as a child because children more than adults live by faith. They have to. That's the only way they can survive is by, by following what you know, parents and authority figures tell them; otherwise, they wouldn't even survive childhood. So we we, uh, we 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 like the fact that Christ is the object of our saving faith. And of course, once you believe in Him, the very nature of the life you receive is called what eternal life. How can you lose something that's forever? Doesn't make any sense. You can't. It's it's a
1: contradiction. So with the, the rich young ruler, um, you see him as in then.
0: Yeah, and, there, and listen, I'm not being dogmatic about this. There's different. Uh, there's different ways to look at this. But what I, what you have to do when you're everybody, whether they realize it or not, you know, brings their theology to the table. But mm-hmm. what, like Joseph Dillo Jody Dillo, often talks about is which interpretation has the most explanatory power, and so what I base my theology on, what what I've been talking about here today, is so many clear passages. You know, I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, you know, John. Uh, all these passages uh, about the the nature of saving faith and the finality of our place in his kingdom. So I have to take those clear passages when I come to passages like this that can be interpreted different ways. And I have to say, I know it's not talking about working for your salvation, because we know in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, so many other passages, it's not of works. Let's take any man's Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy saved us. Romans 4, 5. Uh, But to him who works not, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. I mean, over and over and over, there's passages that, how can you interpret that any other way? So we know salvation is out of works. We know the rich young ruler was, Jesus was not telling him to work his way to heaven. Okay? Either either he was uh, deluded about his own righteousness, that's another interpretation, and Jesus was saying okay you want to you want to get there by the Ten Commandments, okay, go ahead, and uh you know that's one interpretation. the other one is that he was already a believer, and he was looking to for his place in the kingdom, just like you know here you had uh, two disciples toward the end of Jesus' ministry, and their mothers coming you know saying let them let one sit on your left and one sit on the right. They were jockey for a position in the kingdom because mm-hmm. for them That was what it was all about. You know, the kingdom is coming, and I want a good place in the kingdom. And, of course, we all do. Uh, Let's face it, it's going to be a lot more exciting. Uh, Jesus says we we are co-rulers with him. Actually, in Revelation, talks about us sitting on his throne, which to me is so amazing to think about. But imagine the difference between being mayor of McAllen, Texas, where we're interviewing from, or governor of the state of texas Mm
1: -hmm. i mean
0: you know they're both kingdom positions but one is i think a lot more exciting than the other (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's it's the real deal we're going to be reigning in 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 the faithful ones are going to be reigning in god's kingdom and that's forever so it's not the rewards or it's not a small thing Mm -hmm. i mean you want to enter that realm of his kingdom with having been faithful in what god's given you so god can then entrust you with like in the parable, okay, you were faithful. I'm going to give you 10 cities. You were faithful with five towns. I'm going to give you five cities. I mean, this is a big deal. So God, God takes the little bit that we were faithful with and he multiplies it beyond our imagination. It's a very big deal, kingdom rewards. But again, we're secure in Christ. I can never by an act of will. There's a lot of things you can do with your will, but you cannot undo a physical birth if I wake up and say, hey, my mother's no longer my mother, I'm mixed up. Or, or a spiritual birth. When I'm born again into God's family, I cannot undo that. Just like I could stand on the roof of my house and say I'm going to fly and jump off, and guess what? Gravity's going to take over. Because I can't fly by an act of my will unaided by an airplane. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I think that... Um the way you're looking at it, which is a little different than the way I look at it, but the way you look at it is kind of like how we preach to ourselves, like you said, that it's because that's our, the source of our spiritual strength, that Christ has done it all. And, um, you know, if we have a works mentality, that's not going to work well for us as far as just fruitfulness from our lives. But, um, in the New Testament, I, I guess the thoughts that come up in my head are like, um, you know James two, I think it's in James two about there's there's different kinds of faith. There's dead faith that might l- look like faith, but it's if it's not producing um, something that shows that it's true faith, and it's you know it's not a true and living faith. Um, and in First Corinthians, Paul, you know, he's speaking to them kind of like a father, or like you know, in an encouraging way, you know. As if they are all in, but um, he does say at one point, you know, examine yourselves, to, self, to see if you are in the faith. So, um,
0: can, I, can I address those two uh, you sure points? Can. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, let me tell you
0: kind of an interesting story. When um, backing up to the beginning of our interview, when I was invited to this other meeting uh, where the gospel was made clear. When the presenter, uh, Pastor Wally Morello, you know, said eternal life's a gift to be received, not a reward to be earned. Boy, my hand shot straight up. And guess what I quoted? Faith without works is death. <laughs> hmm. <Yes. laughs> and so uh, I'd been reading the Bible, uh, misinterpreting it. And so... I uh, I learned, of course, you know that it is finished, and that uh, salvation is a gift to be received, not a reward to be earned. But after studying James, in fact, uh, when I was in seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, in second year Greek, we exegeted through James, mm-hmm. and my professor was Armenian. He believed you could lose your salvation, so it was really funny because you know whenever you see the word save you have to say in the context, save from what? And so we got to James 5 before we even got to it. He said, Carrie, you're going to love this because here is the word save in the Greek sozo being used in a physical way. The prayer of faith will sozo, will save the one who's sick. So you always have to look at the context and say, save from what? Now, the beginning of James, in James 1, he says, consider it all joy when you come into various trials because these trials are able to perfect your faith. So James is talking about not justification faith. He's talking about mature faith. And, and uh, he even gives the illustration of Abraham where it's, of course, Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, but his faith was perfected when he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. He believed God. We, la- we later learned he believed God could, he- could raise his son from the dead. Okay? Now, when you get to the word dead, the word is necros in the Greek, you have to say, how is this word being used? Does it mean non-existent or does it mean something like useless? Like, for example, when the prodigal son came back, the father said, this is my son who was dead. Is it literal? Of course not. It's used in a figurative sense. So there's a, I don't have the other Greek work off the top of my head, but there is a sentence in James where, The other word translated useless is used right in the same sentence. So the Mm -hmm. idea that you say you have faith. See, James is from Missouri. I I, I went to University of Missouri School of Journalism. James is from Missouri, Missouri, the show me state. Mm -hmm. James is saying, show me your faith by your works. He's not saying if you don't have works, you're not justified. He's saying if you don't have works, you have an unproductive or you could even translate it, useless faith. It's not benefiting anyone else. You're just talking a good game. Somebody comes to you in need. You say, God bless you. Be warm and filled. Go on your way, as James says. That is useless. That is, that is unproductive faith. And guess what? Uh, the world is full of Christians who have unproductive, what you would call dead faith. But it doesn't mean it's non-existent. It means that that uh, they're not having that joy that James wants them to have uh, when they have that perfect or mature faith.
1: Now, doesn't that passage, though, say something along the lines like, can that faith save anybody? It
0: cannot save them in terms of being delivered from a wasted, useless life. That's what James is talking Mm -hmm. about. It cannot save from the power of sin. That, that's the, that's the second sense of salvation. James is talking about sanctification. So again, when you see that word sozo, save, you have to say saved from what? And in the context of James, it's being saved from a a wasted, unproductive life. Mm -hmm. That faith cannot save you. Okay. So in that sense.
1: Okay. What about the Corinthians?
0: uh, Oh, examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. Again, I I don't think he's telling to examine themselves to see if they are believers, because he calls them my beloved brethren, he says, don't you know your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit? It's examine yourself in the sense, are you, again, in that second sense, being delivered from the power of sin, are you in the faith in terms of advancing in your Christian life? That's the examination. We're never told to, you know, uh, Christians today often want to make uh, faith such a subjective thing it's like oh did i really did i really believe and, you know and they try to get all introspective and they should be focusing not on themselves they should be focusing on the object of faith that i believe in christ alone that was i trusting in something else beside him that's all you need to ask and if you ever i remember when i first heard the gospel And I believe I was already born again, but I remember when I was 17, I knelt down by my bed and I said, Lord, if you have any doubts, I'm believing in Christ the best way I know how, because that's all you can do. Mm -hmm. The best way you know how, you're placing your total faith in him. If you do that, I can guarantee you by Christ's own words, you are born again and you can never be unborn, period. It's eternal life.
1: Okay. Um... So, so who's in basically those who, who hear and have some kind of a faith response, like a mustard seed of faith or, right. or something along those lines. Right. Um, Jesus, you know, speaks of being born again, as you mentioned, and Paul in, in uh, Ephesians speaks about, you know, being sealed with the spirit, Right. um, so this um this makes a, a difference to someone's life, like someone who's been born again, they're a different person, a new creation That's right. compared to how they were. Um,
0: but we're not we're still in a corruptible body. We still have the memory patterns of what it's like to live independently from Christ. And 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 think of this. I mean Paul commands, uh, I believe it's in Ephesians, where he says to believers, don't quench and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So we can, by an act of our will, say no to God. We can say no to God at gospel hearing and say no. And of course, if your theology of such where you're saying that even saving faith is a work of God, which is a misinterpretation of Ephesians 2.8.9, uh, because it's not faith that's the gift of God. It does not agree. I believe uh, faith is in the feminine, pistis, and it, you know, it is in the neuter gender. And so it's talking about salvation being the gift of God. Uh, I remember sitting in a seminary classroom, and uh, this is very common among uh, a lot of reform theologians, where they're saying, uh, You're so degenerate that you can't even believe in Christ. You're actually, because they interpret, faith as a work and they'll say you're actually regenerated before you believe i never see that in scripture it's always whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life so uh, you know god is a perfect gentleman but he's the ultimate lover he as, as, as jesus said if i be lifted up i will draw all men to myself and and then uh, in another passage it says that christ died not for Our sins only—I'm paraphrasing—but for the sins of the entire world, so Christ has paid for everybody's sins. Now the only question is: Are you going to receive His payment for your sin? The only—the only sin that sends you to hell is the unpardonable sin, rejection of Christ. So uh, John three eighteen is very clear: He who—you know—if you believe in Him, uh, He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who believes not is condemned already. Why? Because he believes not in the name of the only begotten Son. And here's Jesus. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you, that's his will, that's his sovereign will, how many times I would have gathered you, but but like a hen gathers its chicks, but you would not. So there is a juxtaposition between the sovereignty of God, Jesus willing and wanting to gather them, like a hen gathers its chicks, but then recognizing God gave us a form of sovereignty too, we could say no to him. God wants people to respond to him from their own free will. Now, he He woos us. It says the Holy Spirit convicts the whole world of sin, righteousness, and judgment of sin because they believe not on me. So he's convicting the whole world. In Romans 1, he does it through creation. He does it through our own conscience. But as we see in Romans 1, those who receive the general revelation, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They're suppressing the truth. So you can say no to the witness of creation, no to the witness of your own conscience, and guess what? You're probably not even going to hear the gospel because you're not, you've are not. you already rejected the witness that God has given you. So you can say no at gospel hearing or no at the witness of creation and conscience, and then as a believer, born again with the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you can say no to God, and you can quench and grieve the Holy Spirit, and you can be a carnal Christian that's under the loving divine discipline of God. So that you know, you need to be reminded, just like Paul said, "Don't you know who you are?" And that's what I try to do every day. Uh, in fact, there's a there's a wonderful devotional. Don't ask me to uh, say the guy or spell the guy's last name, but it's Tullian Chavinchin. And his uh, devotional is called It Is Finished. And in every day when I get up, I'll read two chapters of that because we forget that it is finished. And the beauty of It Is Finished is that, guess what, Will? I don't need your approval. I don't need anything from you because I have the love and acceptance I need from Christ. Now I'm free to give to you, but I don't need anything in return. So it's really the most liberating thing in the world to be affirmed in terms of who you really are and in terms of your identity because then you're free to minister to others because you're not looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places and that's that's where people get into trouble Christians and non-Christians they're looking for love and acceptance everybody wants to be loved every it's, it's something that's part mm-hmm. of our human something that god placed in us mm-hmm. but that that unconditional love that one-way love is only available through Jesus Christ. God's mm-hmm. God doesn't love us anymore if we obey or disobey. His love remains the same. But when we obey, then we enjoy the blessings of who God has made us in Christ. We're not out there searching for love and acceptance in, you know, uh, things that we accomplish, even even good things in our job or, you know, at the bar, you know, with with alcohol abuse or drug abuse and all these things. All those things, all sin is, is looking for love and acceptance outside of God. And that was the original sin, Adam and Eve. They wanted to be like God, mm-hmm.
1: right? Right. We're not God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you, you mentioned the witness of creation. So, um, there's kind of, there's in and out, um, so, in would be like a being a part of the kingdom of God. Out would be being judged for one's sins and receiving the wrath of God. Is, it, is that how you see it?
0: Yeah. Uh, once you're justified, uh, the penalty of sin can never condemn you. There's no condemnation uh, to those who are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, is there judgment, in terms of a family matter, yes, God God judges his own people. And you don't want, as a believer, you don't... Here's my thought. I think the carnal Christian, not the unbeliever who's sinning, I think the carnal Christian is the most miserable person on the planet. Why do I say that? Because they're going against more things, more barriers. I mean, the scripture says, the love of christ constrains us okay so the love of christ has a constraining effect because when you realize who you are in christ and god has entrusted you as an ambassador for his kingdom then of course even though like paul said uh, in terms of do we are we able, are we able back then able to eat meat that was sacrificed in a pagan temple well of course you can but if there's a weaker brother who thinks that that's a sin, then you refrain. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with, you know, take like, uh, the Bible doesn't say, I'll just throw this out. The Bible doesn't say don't, it says don't get drunk. It doesn't say Jesus drank wine at the Passover. As a lot of Christians get all excited when somebody has a, a sip of wine. But, uh, but, but, you know, Jesus said don't get drunk. So, but if I know, if I'm, if I'm at dinner with somebody and I know that my brother is a recovering alcoholic, I'm going to refrain, even though I'm free to have a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. I'm going to refrain because I do not want that brother to stumble. So I'm going to restrict my liberty for the sake of that brother who has a weakness. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're free, but there's a lot of things that I can do that I won't do because maybe it even has the appearance of evil. And I don't Mm -hmm. want my testimony to be marred. I don't want uh, my liberty to hinder an opportunity for the gospel.
1: So as far as the some are in and some are out, so the out is like um, experiencing God's wrath because of one's sin. So is that kind of how well, you use it? I would be
0: careful using the word wrath. That's often okay. used for unbelievers. I would say uh, uh, family family discipline. In fact, that's the word uh Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he he chastens, or some could interpret that as disciplines. And just like a loving parent would discipline their child, you know, you're not going to go play in the street because you're going to get run over, you know, and God knows uh, that if we continue to uh, disobey him, that it's going to end badly. Let's face it. uh, If you're a believer or unbeliever and you go out and drink a fifth of scotch every day, even if you repent, uh, and 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 you know uh, confess you know when we when we get out of fellowship, First John one nine, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not talking about justification. That's talking about restoration to fellowship. Now you get back in fellowship, you start walking in the light, and guess what? God could heal your liver, but he may not heal it. You may die a miserable death because of the effects of sin. Some sins have lasting consequences. Like if you go out and, and cheat on your wife, and uh, she is biblically you know, uh, empowered, if she wants to divorce you, uh, you may not get your wife back because of your sin, and you're going to suffer. But it doesn't mean that your sins are not forgiven. It just means you were too stupid to realize that uh, you had life in Christ, abundant life, and you didn't draw on it. And now... You're going to lose out on blessings in time and blessings in eternity. You're forgiven, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like this. The illustration I use is that, you know, we we'll, we're all citizens of the United States. And so is Bill Gates. He's a citizen too. We all have the same rights as citizens of the United States, but Bill Gates is a multi-billionaire. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's got wealth and power. That we don't have just on a on a on a secular level, and so we have the same rights as citizens, but he has a lot more, you know, power because of his wealth. It's going to be the same way in the kingdom. And and again, uh, when you have uh, authority in 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 Christ's kingdom, it's not to lord it over people; it's to serve. You know, that's that's kingdom leadership. It's to serve. So uh, you know, God's going to hold you accountable for what he's given you. So if you're faithful with what he's given
1: you, guess what? He's going to entrust you with more. That's the principle. Okay. Well, what, I, what I'm trying to get to is like, is anybody out? Like, is anybody...
0: No, and I'm not talking about universalism, okay? John three eighteen. He who believes in him is not condemned. He's, he who He who believes not is condemned already. Okay. The unbeliever has, you know, the judgment, you know... Of Christ uh, for rejecting his gift of eternal life hanging over him or her. And if that person dies, they go to hell. And it's very simple. Christ spoke more about hell than he did heaven. So, yes, I'm not talking, just because Christ paid for everybody's sins, it doesn't mean that that payment is applied to your account. Because uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 21, uh, he made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might have, you know, paraphrasing, that the righteousness of Christ might be credited to our account. That term uh, logizomai in the Greek is an accounting term, and it actually means to credit to one's account, that 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 righteousness is imputed or credited to our account. So when you stand before God and God says, why should I let you into heaven? Because Christ paid for my sin and he's given me, righteousness so we often we often don't hear that part of the gospel but when the righteousness of christ is credited to your account you stand before god totally holy now down here i we live in a hispanic very catholic uh, society in south texas and i often will shock my catholic friends by casually telling them oh guess what i'm a saint (laughs) i had one girl tell me you're no saint But see, they don't understand. Sainthood is earned in the Catholic Church. But God gives us sainthood. He makes us holy because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Every believer is a saint. The word is hagios. You're holy before God. You may not feel holy, okay? But guess what? Whose opinion are you going to accept? Are you going to believe your feelings? Are you going to believe Other people telling you, you're no saint. Or are you going to believe what God says about you? And he says, you're a saint. Guess what? You will never act beyond what you believe. And so if you believe that you're a saint and you really believe that Christ has forgiven you, the natural thing to do is to act like that. That's the beauty of accepting our identity in Christ because I only sin when I forget who I am in Christ. And we do have a short-term memory problem because every day the world is telling us, just turn on the TV. Oh, if you don't drive this kind of car, if you don't wear these kind of clothes or have this kind of perfume or have multi-millions in the bank, who are you? Because the world is trying to get their identity from things or accomplishments, things outside of Christ. And we know because very wealthy people guess what? Sometimes they commit suicide. Movie stars, you think, oh, they've got it made. They're blowing out their brains. Well, guess what? You'll never, ever be satisfied except from who you are in Christ. Because guess what? I can be totally pauper. I can be out on the street and my identity is still the same. I'm a saint because God made me a saint in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. That's that's so empowering That can set you free from from all the identity crisis, from all the bad messages that maybe you even received from your parents. You're no good. Who do you think you are? You're ugly. You're fat. You know, whatever it is, guess what? I can look like the hunchback of Notre Dame, and I'm still accepted in Christ. I'm still a righteous person. My identity does not depend on what other people think. And when you, when you get that, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're walking in that kind of power that God has given you, you can laugh at the things that people try to get for their identity because they're so small. And you can, the Christian life, if you want to talk about repentance, it's a constant changing of your mind, a rejecting what the world says you need to be, you know, successful or identity and embracing who you are in Christ. That's, you know, the word repent, There, it, it is used in a in a justification sense in that Paul talks about in Acts 20, if you want to talk about, you know, you often hear, again, a lot of evangelicals talk about, oh, you got to repent from your sin to be justified. Well, guess what? The object of repentance in Acts 20, Paul said, it's, His message was repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's Acts 20, 21. And if you want to talk about the negative aspect of repentance with regard to justification, try Hebrews 6, where he says one of the elementary doctrines is repentance from dead works. You hear the gospel, God's giving you eternal life. Christ died for your sins. My works can't save me. You realize they're dead. And now I'm changing my mind about God. I'm embracing Christ alone instead of something I do or some religion or some rules, whatever, even if they're the Ten Commandments. Guess what? No one's ever kept the Ten Commandments. No one. They're they're righteous. They're good. But Christ kept the law for us. And so he's the law keeper that God recognized twice where the voice came out of heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, he added... Hear him. (laughs) You need to tell the disciples, listen to him. You know, he's the one we need to listen to. So uh, guess what? God is well pleased with his son and I'm in Christ. So I have his approval. It doesn't mean that everything I do is going to merit God's approval. But when my identity is in Christ and I have God's righteousness, his approval. And when I really believe that, guess what? I act like that because you will always act in accordance with who you believe you are. You can't do otherwise. Mm -hmm.
1: So I appreciate what you're saying about the good news and that it is powerful and life-changing something to preach to ourselves. I I just want to, you know, but little things just pop up in my head as I'm listening to you. And, you know, going back when I was speaking about, you know, like there are those who experience God's wrath and you said to be careful about. Using the word wrath, well, I'm talking about those who um d- don't know Christ, right? So that's wrath for like their sins. They're they're fi- they're going to face that someday. There's a judgment. There's a judgment. Yeah. Okay.
0: They're rejecting God's righteousness. They 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 don't want that. So- they want to earn it, or you know whatever. They're, it's self salvation, and that's what religion apart from Christ is all about. It's self salvation. And even the secular version of, you know, you hear it all the time. Oh, you can be anything you want to be. All you have to do is believe. That's a total lie. That's a total lie. Mm -hmm. And so you can't can't impress God with your self-salvation project because he provided salvation for you. And it's the ultimate in arrogance to think that you can earn God's acceptance That's the ultimate in arrogance because you're saying Christ's work on the cross was not sufficient. I've got to help him out. It is finished. Actually, that word in the Greek, tetelestai, that word was actually written. If you brought me a bill and I paid it, you would write on there, tetelestai. It could also be translated paid in full, paid in full. So often that's the way I share the gospel. Uh, even last night i was at gold's gym in the jacuzzi and uh, talking to a guy and we're talking about health things and i said okay so now we've talked about all the ways to make you feel better and increase your life using supplements and different things but what about your eternal destiny what do you what do you have planned for there well he was it was christ plus his own works and so i always ask the question what do you think jesus meant when he said on the cross it is finished and so it, you see the wheels turning. He didn't know. He didn't know. And, and uh, you know, that, that it is finished, those three words is what I try to um, use to share the gospel with other people and also preach the gospel to myself every day. Because when I forget that it is finished, then guess what? I become my own savior. Mm-hmm. Even as a Christian, you know, I have to watch out for trying to get my identity outside of Christ. But guess what? When I'm, when I'm receiving a lot of love and acceptance that I need in Christ, I can now be relaxed and I can now minister to others because I'm free to give. I don't need your love and acceptance. It's nice if I get it. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm a curmudgeon or antisocial, mm-hmm. but it means that I can actually engage because now I'm not looking to you for approval. And whether you give back or not, that one way love that God is giving me, when I'm filled with his spirit, I can give to you, Will, that mm-hmm. one way. I don't need you to respond. All the world's, all the world's acceptance is based on reciprocity, reciprocal. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll do this for you if you do that for me, and we'll reciprocate. God's love is one way. In fact, that's the other book by Tullian Chavinchin, and it's called One Way
1: Love, a very, very
0: powerful book, extremely powerful.
1: So, um, you know, so it's common for like grace plus works in a way is that's how you're understanding it. And, um, well, what So are you saying that those who have the two, um, like, I guess that's kind of, um, from what I understand about Catholicism, it's like God gives us grace to do good works and they understand about the atonement and so forth, but, or is it your thoughts then? Well, it's not that they're outside of the faith because there's both, but it's more of they're just missing out of the joy of it being finished in their I, hearts. I
0: disagree. Okay. Uh, if you're trusting in Christ plus your works for entrance into God's kingdom, you are sadly mistaken. Because guess what? If we can enter into God's kingdom through our works, if our works play any role at all, Guess who gets the glory? And when I quote Ephesians two eight nine, the end of it says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. I often tell people one of the things that will make heaven or God's kingdom so wonderful is no one be able no one will be bragging about getting there. So if you could get there by your by Christ plus your works, then you'd have something to
1: boast about, wouldn't you? Well what about Protestants then, who you know we started the conversation with um grace plus works, because they have to give their self, you know, surrender, so to speak. Uh, are they mistaken as well?
0: Absolutely. Uh, Protestants, evangelicals
1: are filled
0: with that message of Christ plus works. That's why I often said when when I went forward in a Baptist church here in McAllen, Texas, at 17, I heard the message, Christ died for your sins. Eternalize a free gift. Now, in the invitation... Just come forward and dedicate your life to Christ. So it was both. And uh, that message cannot save. That is that no one will enter into God's kingdom. I'm being very dogmatic here. If they're trusting in Christ plus their works, it doesn't matter whether they're uh, been baptized like I was in a Baptist church or whether they're, uh, you know, uh, counting rosary beads and doing penance in a Catholic church. Uh, when i talk to my Catholic friends, I say, well, what kind of Catholic are you? Are you a Catholic who knows he's going to heaven or or not? You know, because there's no in-between. You're either born again, you're either not condemned because you believed in Christ, or you're under condemnation trying your self-salvation
1: project. Christ plus works does not save. So at first, you know, I'm under the impression that the tent is very large because it just takes a mustard seed, you know, but then because the vast majority of people believe that there's got to be some kind of works, perhaps to prove that one's faith is true or something like that. Now it looks like it's getting very small to like, well, there's, you know, it's that it's just a few who, um, who don't have that, you know, response who are not responding to here's my heart is surrender and so forth. So do you kind of understand what I'm, I'm saying? Like it's, um, It's a little confusing to me um, because just a mustard seed of faith, it's like big, but then, but you can't have any works There's very few
0: people. It's a remnant. There's very few people that, see, you can tell me, give me a checklist of things to do. Now I'm involved. It, It makes me feel good. Now I'm in control. Give me the checklist. What is it? That's what religion does. But don't tell me that I can't do anything, that... Only a bloody cross is between me and heaven. Don't tell me that I can't do anything, that I'm totally helpless. That's humiliating. And guess what? That's what you have to do. You have to have to realize that my self-salvation projects cannot save. And you have to, that's why that childlike faith is necessary. You have to be, you know, children, if you think about it, Children don't have any problem receiving a gift uh, you give a you give a lavish gift to an adult, and the first thing they're thinking usually is okay what do, what do they want from me now I've got to give something in return there's a string, but children, hey, give me a gift fine that's great you know uh they don't have any problem and, and, and that's the thing that's why we cannot come to God with uh anything oh. You know the the Bible says, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." All, everyone. There is no exception, because it's like the illustration I give with the Grand Canyon. You know, we could we could line up, well, and we could have a contest to see who's going to jump the furthest across the Grand Canyon. And well, what if you outjump me by twenty feet? Guess what? It doesn't matter because we're all going to end up dead at the bottom, mm-hmm. and that's the same way. So, what if you could out jump what if you were what if, according to human righteousness, you were the most righteous person on the planet? No one did more good works than you. You had everybody beat that's like trying to cross jump across the grand canyon you need there is a place in the Grand Canyon where there is a bridge where you can go and look down uh and that's what christ is he's our bridge you know we walk across that bridge we, we get to the other side. But if we try to jump it on ourselves based on our own righteousness, it doesn't matter how good you are. That goodness is not the righteousness of Christ. In fact, Jesus reads the, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Uh, you thought you were keeping the law by, uh, you know, by, for example, uh, you didn't, you didn't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you even look on a woman to lust, you've committed adultery. Oh, you didn't murder anybody? Oh, you got angry? You've committed murder in your heart. So Jesus, see, what happens is is we, we often don't preach the law enough. We often kind of water it down so that people think, oh, I can do that. But the law tells you God's righteous and I can't keep the law. <laughs> I need a savior. So I'm all about preaching the law uh, in order to let people know they need a savior. And and as when you're born again, of course, God says that He puts that He writes His law on your heart. You know, uh, like if you know, it's like D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. His motto was, "Love God and live as you please," because if you love God, you know you don't. You're you're living beyond rules you know, you, you're, you're living beyond rules. Uh, you, you're, you're, like Jesus said, all the law can be reduced to two commandments or, or two things, love God, love your neighbor. Very simple. Because if you're receiving that love from God, then you're going to love your neighbor, okay? But when you forget who you are and you start on your self-salvation project, or if you're an unbeliever saying Christ plus my works, what does that do to the cross, then that means it's not finished. You're trying to finish it. You're trying to finish your salvation. You're trying to be justified based on something you do. And what does Isaiah tell us? In God's sight, that is like filthy rags. The literal translation is menstrual rags, very stinky. And that's what all our righteousness to God is like, filthy rags. Now, After you're born again, after you've trusted Christ alone, then Ephesians 2.10 says we're created for good works. Okay. God has good works for us, but it's not to, it's not to, it's not to enter into his family. It's, it's works that glorify him done with the right motivation, filled with the spirit. Because guess what? As an unbeliever, you cannot have the right motivation. Your good works are going to be about you can say they're glorifying God, but
1: guess what? They're glorifying you. <laughs> okay, so um like adding anything to what Christ has done is not the type of faith that brings you into that relationship with Christ. That's right. Okay. But um Because you're having faith in
0: yourself. And along, Christ. Along yeah. with Christ. Yeah. It's faith in Christ. It is finished, and if you add, just like uh, I think it's Romans eleven six, and if by grace, then it's no longer by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, you know. And if by works, vice versa, it's almost like, you know, you've got your car, you've got some gasoline in there, but you think, oh, I don't have time to go to the gas station. I'll just put some water in there. You can't mix gas and water. You can't mix. This is what Paul says: faith and works. In fact, he makes the argument in Romans very strongly that Abraham was justified before the law was even given. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it says, Genesis 15, 6, and Abraham believed God and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. So when we believe in Christ, actually Abraham is the father of our faith, okay? We're grafted in as Gentiles into that, as wild olive branch into that root, which is faith. So... Again, uh, salvation, even in the Old Testament, it's always been by faith alone. They believed in the Messiah, you know, would come. We look back and see that he's already come and he's offered that perfect sacrifice. And all the lamb offerings and all that was merely a shadow of the greater, you know, the ultimate sacrifice, like John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world.
1: But, um, but, I, but that's not referring like the adding works on the faith. And you, you said um, like some just different Christian traditions, um, in your opinion, were doing that kind of like um, responding to an altar call or... um, um
0: Hey, I'm, I have nothing against altar calls. Okay. But when you don't distinguish between justification being delivered from the penalty of sin and sanctification being delivered from the power of sin, then you end up with a with a Christ plus works for salvation. Now, do I believe in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that in light of everything Paul said in terms of being justified by faith alone in Christ alone, do I believe that it's our reasonable service to offer our bodies as living sacrifice? Absolutely. That's the reasonable thing to do. If somebody gives their life for you, <laughs> you know, you should be You know, that's, that's a natural response, but I'm not going to make that response a, I'm not going to add that on to saving faith because it, it, it should, it should follow, but it doesn't always follow because we see the Corinthian Christians. We see Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit and they, they died the sin unto death as believers. Okay. We see a lot of, of disobedient believers. And, you know, often people talk about the Bible as the heroes of faith. Well, a lot of the people of the Bible were not heroes at all. They failed. And, and But guess what? You know, when you believe in Christ, um, God's grace is greater than your failure. I'll never forget when I was in seminary, I was in a pastoral counseling class, and the whole subject of suicide came up. And, and one student raised his hand and said, well, can you... And I'm not encouraging suicide, you understand, but he said, can you be a believer and commit suicide? And I'll never forget, uh, the man's name was Bill Secor. It was the greatest moment I experienced at seminary. He literally pounded the table and said, there is no sin greater than the atonement of Christ, period. And that's it. What sin can you commit that is greater than it is finished, the atonement of Christ? There is None. None. Now, if you're stupid, you'll say, oh, that's great, I can go out and just sin do whatever I want, you know, no problem. No, it's your reasonable service then in response to that love to want to offer yourself to God because you received eternal life and guess what? That same source is there for the abundant life, for overcoming the power of sin and living a victorious life. Christ has already got the victory. All you have to do is avail yourself you know, let his words abide in you. You abide in him. Ask what you will and it will be done. You know, God's wanting to advance his kingdom through every believer. If you make yourself available, you're going to have the most exciting life you've ever had because you're going to living, you're living a supernatural life. Not You're not confined to the normal limitations of everyday life. You you begin to see God working in your life through relationships, through circumstances. You know, often God leads, leads through providential circumstances. If you have the spiritual antenna up, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll see that. And it's very exciting. But if you're, if you're dumb, you're, you have the attitude, well, I just want to get into heaven and I don't care how I get there. Uh, I just, I know I trusted Christ and I'm going to go. That's really pretty stupid uh, because, you know, God's kingdom is forever. And again, do you want to be mayor of McAllen or you want to be governor of Texas? I'd, I'd rather be the governor. <laughs> you know, it's a real deal. Even a cup of water given in Christ's name is going to be rewarded. So it's a very, very big deal.
1: Um, this is just in passing, but I just want to get your thoughts on it because earlier you kind of brought up, you didn't say election, but you kind of brought up the subject a little bit and um one thing I kind of think of is like the it's just like a sentence in Acts maybe thirteen or seventeen about um you know giving an account of something that happened and and then there's just the commentary, you know, and those who were elect believed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um so from what you said earlier You don't, I don't think you believe in election. So, like, no, I do. Actually, I do, but I don't
0: believe it in the way I think you're wanting to define it. Um, Let me talk about uh, God's sovereignty and our free will. I know without any doubt that if you offer my wife a piece of dark chocolate, she's going to take it. She loves dark chocolate. Now, because I know that, Does that mean that I caused her to take the dark chocolate? No. She has that desire in her. It's a very limited illustration because God's knowledge is perfect. Now, does God foreknow everything? Absolutely. Is his foreknowledge causative? Not according to John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who believes not is condemned already because he wasn't one of the elect because God didn't choose him. No, does isn't what it says. It says because he believes not. Okay? So we have a form of sovereignty, okay? It's like it's like, you know, again the illustration you probably heard. It. It's like you're up on a mountain and there's a parade a couple thousand feet below. You see the whole parade because you have the, the the big perspective. But somebody on the ground doesn't see what's at the end of the parade. You can see that momentarily. That's a poor illustration again. I'm sure it breaks down. But uh, again, God's foreknowledge is not causative, okay? And again, I go back to Jesus, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you like a hen gathers its chicks, but you would not. Okay, so he there's God with his sovereignty, but he respects your sovereignty that he gave you to reject him. God doesn't want a bunch of robots running around. That, that doesn't glorify God. What glorifies God is when, yes, I believe no one would come to Christ, let's put it this way, unless God gave us the witness of creation the witness of our conscience, and at gospel hearing, uh, John 16, uh, you know, God God convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment of sin because they believe not on me. God woos us, but he doesn't, he doesn't, I don't think regeneration comes before faith because faith is not a work. All the merit in faith is in the object. For example, when I came into this room, well, I turned on the light switch. Does that mean that I generated the power that's coming, that's light? No, I just accessed it. That's analogous to faith. And when we believe in Christ, boom. Now, because the because Christ died for our sins, it is finished. We're born again, okay? It's all about the object of faith. Faith is merely the way we access salvation. And if you add anything to faith, if you bring your own works, Guess what? It's not, gonna, it's not gonna be effective. So does that does that make sense of how of how I think the biblical view, an election, basically it's like our predestination. We go to the airport, Will, and and we get on a plane that is predestined to go to Dallas. When we get on that plane, you know, it's like all who believe in Christ are predestined to be conformed to his image. <laughs> So when we get on that plane, we're going to Dallas, okay? It's, it's, it's predetermined. In the same way, when we believe in Christ, guess what? God's going to complete the work that he started in us. And that idea of a predestination being conformed to Christ, that should be a comfort to all believers. That in spite of all our failure, guess what? In the end, we're going to be completely like Christ. That's amazing. That, that should be a very sanctifying Empowering thought that guess what, I'm going to be like Christ for all eternity. I might as well start now in conforming.
1: <laughs> okay, how does that fit with um, those who um, just shirk this opportunity? They're in, but they they're, they're the guy of one talent and wasn't faithful, and he's on the outside. Well, I think you go to the Corinthian
0: correspondence, and 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 Paul lays it out. He says. Uh, Christ is your foundation, but be careful how you build. And he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And again, that's not to determine your destiny. That's to determine your place in the kingdom. So there is going to be an evaluation for all believers in terms of how they were faithful or unfaithful. And uh, there's going to be, frankly, I'm, I'm glad that all the unproductive, stupid things I've done are going to be burned up because I don't think they're going to be around. And uh, But that means that that I'm going to suffer loss uh, not loss of salvation, but but a loss of, of of the joy of being able to rule and reign with Christ to some degree. So but if, still I'm, if con- I'm unfaithful, uh, maybe I end up being the mayor of McAllen instead of the governor of Texas. But I'm still conformed to Christ. I'm still conformed to Christ, totally. Okay. But, I, but be, because I wasn't faithful with what he entrusted me with a little in time, then that is going to determine my place in the kingdom. I'm still in the kingdom. Okay, it's just like the illustration with Bill Gates. We're all citizens of the U.S., but Bill Gates has a lot more influence because of his, his money and wealth.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about um evangelism. So you mentioned like a question that you use a lot of times when it comes to evangelism, and now I can kind of guess the question perhaps. <laughs> you might know. What do you think it is? <laughs> um my guess is if you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say?
0: I do use that question. Okay. That's a common one. But what I like to do, in fact, I used it last night with uh, the guy in the jacuzzi. His name was Jorge or George. And, uh, I, you know, again, um, I, I, I get the conversation. I establish rapport. I mainly ask him about himself. And then, you know, I was able to give some nutritional tips and things. He's trying to lose some weight. And so... Then I asked him when Jesus died on the cross. He said, it is finished. What do you think he was talking about? I love that hmm. question because I'm not telling him he's having to think. And guess what? He actually got the answer right. And he finally got, well, he, he, I said, I had to ask him, well, why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, he, he died for our sins. And then my follow up question is, well, if Jesus said it is finished and he died for our sins, how many sins does that leave you to pay for? Zero. Hmm. So I love that question because it gets people thinking. And a lot of people, they don't actually know what Jesus meant when he said it is finished. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people kind of figure it out. But they've never they've never connected the dots as to the implications of it is finished. And salvation being a free gift. Hmm. And they, they and I, I asked him right there, well, the best way, because he was he was this, you know, Christ plus works. Mm-hmm. When I, I did ask him that question about standing before God, and then I went back and said, well, the best way you know how, do you understand it now? Do you believe in Christ alone for your salvation? And he said, yes. And sometimes another technique I'll use is I'll misquote John 3.16. You know, say, just like I did with you earlier, you know, whosoever... Goes to church, whosoever dedicates their life, whosoever gives up their sin. Down here, I'll say whoever goes to confession, you know, it's a big thing, the Catholic Hmm. church. And they'll say, no, it doesn't say any of that. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what kind of life? Everlasting life. So, um, and again, once I understand that they understand the, the, the finalness of Christ's sacrifice and the completeness of their salvation then of course I'll go ahead and, you know, he was talking about Bible study. So I told him where he could go to church and get some good Bible study. And, you know, of course I want them to experience the abundant life as well as assurance of eternal life, but I don't get the cart before the horse. I don't try to get them dedicating their life to Christ when they haven't even believed in him.
1: Mm -hmm. So in that situation, um, then did he come to believe at that point? Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. he did.
0: Yeah, he did. I mean, all I can do is go by what he said. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, he said that he did. And then we talked a, a bit about, um, you know, uh, the church that I go to where, you know, they teach the Bible and I told him where it was and what time it began and, and all of that. And so, uh, again, you, you just take the opportunities God gives you. And, uh, the card last night, uh, I'm having a lot of fun with this card that I've been giving away. It's on the other side of my business card. And it's got a, a really great picture of people at like a wedding banquet, you know, very festive. And then at the top, it says, you're invited. And then dot, dot, dot to the ultimate wedding. And I'm inviting people to the ultimate wedding. Every time I'm at Walmart, I'm engaging in small talk, and I say, hey, have you heard about this? And they look at the card. No, who's getting married? I say, well, you got to go. There's an article that it refers to. It's faithprofiles.org slash wedding. And I wrote an article where it talks, the first miracle Jesus did was at the wedding in Cana where he turned the water into wine. And I talk about Jesus being Lord of the feast. Most people don't think of Christ like that. Guess what? He's the Lord of the feast because the next thing on the agenda when he returns is the marriage feast of the lamb. We're all going to be at this incredible wedding. And so I give the gospel in that article and I talk about how that invitation to that wedding feast is open to everybody. And guess what? Everybody wants that card. Some people have asked me, well, is it a day wedding or a night wedding? You know, I said, well, you got to go read the article. And um, anyway, it's been a lot of fun there. You can have fun in evangelism. And my, the classic example, <coughs> excuse me, is Jesus and the woman at the well. I mean, he just, I call that curiosity evangelism. He just keeps drawing. It's like fishing. You know, he gets a little nibble and he keeps working the line and finally she bites down fully. Uh, but he, he teases her a little bit and she, she comes. And so you can have fun with evangelism in terms of you know, putting it out there as a tease and making people
1: curious. So let's say, um, like perhaps last night or or just any time you're talking with someone, talk about it is finished. What does that mean? They think about it, and uh maybe they had like some kind of grace plus works, and then it just mm-hmm. kind of clicks. Oh, that's that's all it, it is. Mm-hmm. And then um then does anything else happen? Um, like um even though it might click intellectually, um, does there need to be some kind of uh, something else? Like some kind of uh, prayer or... Uh, pr- <clears throat> prayer or... Resp- signing uh, signing a card. Or not right, signing a card. Whatever. I mean, I, but like, I mean, can it just be like an intellectual thing and then...
0: Look, the Bible, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. The Bible makes no distinction... We, we, we live in a very psychologized world. Okay. Mm -hmm. The Bible makes no distinction between head belief and heart belief. That's, that's a total fabrication. It makes, it's belief. Either you believe or you don't. And, and some people talk about, well, I don't, I don't believe that you're saved by intellectual assent. Well, assent means you agree. If I, if I hear the gospel and, Jesus died for my sins and eternal life is a free gift and I have intellectual sin. I'm believing. I believe. Now, intellectual understanding will not get you to heaven. I can understand everything. I can be a master theologian and understand everything that Christ did on the cross and not believe and not trust in him. Understanding does not make you born again. Believing whether the the Bible uses heart as as just you know the person, uh, but but it makes it makes no distinction between the head and the heart. You either believe or you don't. And some some passages mention believing in your heart,
1: but there's no distinction. So, um, but you said it's different than understanding. Belief is different than understanding. Of course it so is. if a if a person like understands that this is what the Bible says, and, um, you know, it's finished, Jesus did it all, and... Um, well, let's say let's say that
0: I, uh, after we get through this interview, I go, you know, I go to the bank, and I deposit, I open up an account in your name, and I put a million dollars in there, mm-hmm. and then I come back and give you the checkbook. Say, Will, you got a million dollars over at the bank, and you understand that, okay? Mm-hmm. But you never write a check. You don't believe it. Cause you just, you just don't believe it. It's, it's there. You understand it, but you don't believe it. You never write a check. That's believing. Mm-hmm. Writing a check. That's believing. I'm going to draw. Jesus offers me eternal life as a free gift. I accept it. I'm drawing down on that payment that he made. I'm drawing down when I believe. That's like writing the check. It's just an analogy. Okay. So again, it's like the light switch. I'm accessing the power. Of God, The Bible says that the gospel, Romans 1, is the power of God unto salvation. So when we believe, we're accessing the power. And again, faith is not a work. Because look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved, you know, past, present, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If faith were a work, then it would be a contradiction, that verse. Because it says it's through faith, but it says it's not of works. So, you know, faith is not a work. It, it's, it's a non-meritorious way that God ordained to access his provision for us. And, and if you think about it, we live by faith. I mean, in so many ways, like every time I flip on a light switch, I'm, I'm believing that, that the power is going to come through. I, I, didn't, I don't generate the power, but every time I turn the ignition to my car, I'm believing that somebody had enough brains to put this thing together so that the car is going to start. I'm going to go someplace. Mm -hmm. So I didn't create the car. I'm not generating the power that makes it go, the gas. I'm just accessing it when I turn the key. That's analogous to faith. And people want to make faith uh, this great, did I really believe enough? Or did I have only head faith and not heart faith in all this subjectivity. Mm-hmm. You know, faith in Christ is all about the object of faith. Do you believe that his sacrifice was totally sufficient for your being delivered from the penalty of sin? If you do, you're born again. You're not condemned. You have eternal life. If you want to add something to that, then that's faith plus something else. It's not grace. Grace means unmerited favor, okay? We don't bring any merit because Christ gets all the glory. It's, it's, It's not of works lest any man should boast. Nobody will be bragging in God's kingdom about getting there. Everybody gets there the same way. Christ is the one who's glorified by this. We are not to glorify ourselves. And if we could add to the work of Christ... Then heaven would, would be hell because everybody would be boasting and bragging and it would be a very arrogant place. That's one of the beauties of heaven. The arrogance will be totally gone. Mm-hmm. And in our fallenness, see, we want to help God out. We want to build that Tower of Babel. We want to, to, to build that ladder to heaven. But guess what? God's salvation, He brings the ladder down to us. He comes down to us. That's what the incarnation is all about. And Romans 1, I mean, uh, uh, John one twelve, The direction of salvation is always from God to us. But as many as what? Received him. To them, he gave the power, you know, to become children of God. So it's always, it's not giving, like you hear the, the cliche, oh, just give your life to Christ. Uh, I'll give, you know, give your heart to Christ guess what? You can't give God anything. You've got to receive eternal life. You've got to believe in Christ. It's always from God to us. And there's so many Christian cliches. Oftentimes, I think they're just cliches. I don't think when people talk about giving their life to Christ, a lot of times it's not necessarily a theological statement, although it can be. But most of the time, I think it's a cliche because, you know, when I was in journalism school at University of Missouri School of Journalism, I took the most advanced editing class you could take. And the very, and one of the very first things that uh, Dr. Ranley said, he said, it's not enough to communicate to be understood. You've got to try to communicate so that you can't be misunderstood. And we've got to think in our fallenness, we want to earn it. We want that approval from our own efforts. And so, that's the way the unbeliever thinks in their fallness. They're thinking, you know, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. If I can just good, better than most people, I'm going to be okay. So if, if you don't clarify your language, if you give people even an inch of wiggle room of thinking that there's something they can add to, they're going to take a mile. They're, if there's something they can add to the work of Christ – they're going to take them out. So if you talk about giving your life to Christ, oh, I'm all in now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work for Christ, and I'm gonna earn my salvation. Yes, He's going to help me. But you know what I mean? It's very confusing. And uh, only that childlike faith, that mustard seed faith, where Christ alone is the object. Only that, only He can save us. Faith is just again, it's just uh, the way we appropriate it.
1: So when you're talking to someone and things click and it's finished. Oh, Jesus, did everything. Um and then I guess and that's it. I mean, I guess you don't necessarily know when like understanding to like receiving that takes place, right? But well, if they um, say they believe
0: um and and you know, I question them. Sometimes I'll even say well, if you go out and you commit this kind of sin, are you still going to heaven? That's a good one to ask. Hmm. You know, what if you go out and kill somebody? Are you still going to heaven? I, I'm not encouraging you to do that, but I'm just saying I want to I want to see if they really understand that Christ's payment is covers everything.
1: Now, what is what what do you say concerning Paul when he says, you know, um, uh, adulterers, uh, you know. Sexually for, fornicators, to you know, th- these types of people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven.
0: Again, uh, there's a couple of different ways to look at that and be consistent in um, what I've been advocating. And by the way, before I forget, I want to mention that there's an organization called the Free Grace Alliance where we meet. We have meetings at least once a year, but it's FreeGraceAlliance dot org, no dot com, and that's where you'll find people who are advocating this distinction between being justified by faith alone or from the, from the penalty of sin uh and being uh delivered from the power of sin they separate justification and sanctification but of course they're related but they're not they're not they're not synonymous so <clears throat> but <clears throat> okay excuse me i forgot your question
1: <laughs> Well, you know, Paul, he, he speaks about... Um, oh, yeah, inheriting. Yeah, yeah,
0: inherit the kingdom. Uh, well, there's one, one way to look at that, uh, and this would be the Zane Hodges interpretation and others, and that is he's talking about inheritance. It's a reward passage, and you can lose um, part of your inheritance by disobedience. The other way of looking at this is that it's an identity issue. In other words, I am not what I do as a saint in Christ. In other words, if I lie to somebody, is my identity liar? That's what the evil one, Satan, would want me to believe. You're just a liar. But guess what? I'm a saint who told a lie. And when I am convicted by the Holy Spirit of that, then I name that sin to God. And I thank God that sin was Crucified. You know, that, that sin is paid for. I get back in fellowship. I start walking in the light. So unbelievers, in terms of their sins, uh, the one way to look at that passage is to say, okay, they're, they're identified with their sin. Uh, they're adulterers, liars, cheaters, whatever. Uh, the other way is to look at that as it's an inheritance passage that, that um, you know, you are going to be sacrificing your inheritance uh, not your permanent inheritance. You'll still enter into God's kingdom, but you will not have the rewards that you could have had had you refrained from these sins. So, again, um, uh, you know, I can't, I'm not going to, let's put it this way, Will, I'm not going to build my theology on a passage like that that can be interpreted different ways. Some people would say, if you commit these sins, it proves you're not a believer. Now, I don't think that's what it's saying at all. But, but, my theology is built on the clear, crystal clear passages like John 3.16, Ephesians 2.8.9, Titus 3.5, Romans 4.5. But to him who works not, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Those are super clear, really undebatable. And so when I come to these other passages, I'm going to be open to, you know, looking at them, but I know it can't say that if I commit such and such a sin that I'm going to hell because my sins are paid for. Okay. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Um, do you? I mean,
0: Paul tells, Paul tells the Corinthians, my beloved brethren, he calls them my beloved brethren, but he says, you are carnal. And he says, you walk like men. That's mm-hmm. what he says. You walk like men, just like an unbeliever. So mm-hmm. the believer who is out of fellowship is, in my opinion, more miserable than an unbeliever. And you can, When you quench and grieve the Holy Spirit, you can, you're out of fellowship and you're walking in the same selfish way that you do as an unbeliever. You're under the control of what the Bible calls the sarks, the flesh. And, and you are, um, you know, out of fellowship with God and and God is going to discipline in a loving way his own children. Mm Be, not trying to get even, but to bring them back into fellowship, so he can
1: bless them. Okay, and you asked me if it made sense, and I, I understand what you're saying on that passage. It does seem to me that Paul is referring to those who are outside, who um, would not not just not inherit rewards, but who um, don't haven't received Jesus's forgiveness. Yeah, yeah and, and, that's, and, so and, so that, and I agree.
0: That's one of the interpretations that that in that case. They are identified by their sin, yeah, because yeah. They, they're adulterers or whatever it is. Right. And, uh yeah, that's an interpretation. But, again, that doesn't mean that the believer is, you know, somehow losing or jeopardizing his or her justification salvation because they're committing one of these sins.
1: Yeah. I see what you mean about that, yeah. Yeah. And some of these things about... um You know, not uh, not um, forming one theology on like just a verse or two, and I can understand that. But I can also kind of understand um, um, not exerting my logic onto the scripture to make everything kind of fit, but rather absolutely. And by the way,
0: that reminds me of a book. There's a there's a wonderful guy who. I mean, he doesn't make these, he's correct, but he got his, you know, he's trained. He's got his PhD from Dallas Seminary. His name is Charlie Bing, B-I-N-G, and he's got a website that is very, very rich. It's called uh, gracelife.org, and he has a book. It's called uh, Salvation, Uh, the subtitle, I forget, but it, but it, the whole book, deals with passages like what you brought up, and it shows the various interpretations. And you interpret them as either a justification from the penalty of sin, or you interpret it as a discipleship passage. So he gives the pros and cons, and then he shows you what he thinks is uh, the best interpretation. Mm -hmm. That book alone, I mean, if I had to only have five books in my library, that book would be one of them. Uh, it's very, very good that way. It's the best I've ever read because he only deals with these so-called, let's call them, uh, problem passages, mm-hmm. and that's very, very good. Uh, Zane Hodges' book, absolutely free, a biblical response to the Lordship Salvation. That's also a very good book along that line.
1: Okay. Um. Yeah. Um. I guess. Um. My tendency is like those problem passages. Is not to, um, you know, think what well, can't mean this because my theology from other passages is this, but rather to kind of think what well, seems in its local context to mean context. this. Yeah. So um, if I can't put the two together, then I'm just not going to put them together. But um, it's like you know when you sit down and you eat a eat a fish,
0: a piece of fish. Uh, just because you get a bone doesn't mean you throw away the whole fish. Yeah. There are passages that I still, you know, am trying to work my way through. Again, I don't believe the Bible is contradictory at all. I believe it is totally consistent. And if I am looking at a passage that contradicts so many clear passages, I have to believe that I haven't gotten the light yet on what. This really means so i don't believe the bible contradicts itself in any way it's totally consistent and i've seen that over and over again where where god will uh, show me what i think is uh, again the way you, how do you interpret the bible there's three rules context 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 because most misinterpretations if not all are taking verses out of context and you're reading You know, there's, you know, the word exegesis, you're reading out from the Bible what's there in context versus eisegesis, where you have your theology and you're reading into the text because you want the text to say something. And ideally, what you want is a, what's called a biblical theology. And you're not forcing anything. You're just letting the text speak. And, you know, different books address different things. I mean, let's face it. I mean, James is talking about... I think uh, the sanctification, the, the fruitful faith, uh, where Romans is mainly talking about being justified from the penalty of sin, although he, he talks about sanctification, too, in terms of presenting your body a living sacrifice. So uh, the book of John, I think, is an evangelistic book. Uh, mm-hmm. Over 90 times it talks about the only condition for receiving eternal life is believing in him. Even even in John twelve, where it says, many of the leaders of the Pharisees believed in him, but they were not willing to confess Christ for fear of the Jews or being thrown out of the synagogue i 'm kind of paraphrasing, so you know people who want to make confession a condition of salvation uh well there 's the same believe in him as John three sixteen but they weren 't willing to confess and here 's Jose here 's uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who comes to uh, help bury the body of Christ, and it tells us he was a secret disciple. So, you know, I'm all for, yes, when you believe in Christ, you know, you should confess him publicly, be baptized, again, as a public testimony. But confession is not a requirement for being born again. It's believe in him, period. Let's stay with the Bible language.
1: And the confession comes out of believing.
0: Yeah, in fact, uh, the verse that often people quote is uh, what, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Uh, and if you read a little further, it says, with the mouth, no, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So it distinguishes. Uh, again, when you see saved, you have to look at the whole context. So uh, with the heart, you know, with the will, you believe for salvation. With the mouth, confession is made about that exactly and it should should you confess christ publicly absolutely but in john 12 these were leaders of the pharisees and it says they i believe if i remember right it says they valued the praise of men more than the praise of god so you know this can happen i mean let's face it we're here in america we have freedom of religion but if you're over in a muslim country where if you confess christ they can kill you, okay? So <laughs> uh, it's 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 a different deal when your life is on the line. I'm not saying you shouldn't confess Christ, but, but I know of people who've had to run for their life because in a Muslim country, uh, and I sat down one time at the Saudi Arabian embassy as a journalist uh, where they invited us to try to influence us uh, through the University of Missouri and, and Northwestern University, and I'm sitting right across from the minister of information at a long table with a Saudi rep, rep on each side of us. And the man says, oh, we don't have a constitution. We just have a Koran. And I said, well, do you think that gives you the right to persecute people who don't agree with you? Oh, no, no, we never do that. I said, well, what about the uh, Filipino workers who were uh, having a Bible study and the thought police broke in and arrested some of them and beat some of them all where they were trying to proselytize? And then the subject of of uh, women came up and uh, he was talking about how they value women. I said, well, what about during the Gulf War where the women who drove cars or trucks or whatever were denounced as prostitutes? And and then and then, uh, uh, you know, he he had to confess. (laughs) Oh, I guess my train of thought, I kind of lost it there. I said on the other, I said, "Okay, uh, so you, you don't. I said, isn't it I said I, know what I said I said, isn't it true that if somebody converts from Islam to another religion that you kill them? And with a straight face, he said, No, we don't kill them. The families usually kill them. And I said, I was almost fell out of my chair, but I followed up and I said, But your government doesn't do anything to prosecute them. He said, No. So there you have it. I mean uh, thank God that we have the freedom to to believe in Christ and to confess confess him publicly uh but in a lot of countries that can mean a death warrant even even your own family members feel like they can kill you and they 're totally justified can you imagine- i can 't even imagine that as an American, but that 's a reality in some muslim countries yeah it's amazing it
1: well <laughs> you 've given me a lot to think about um I don't, um, like, my thinking is kind of different than yours on some of these issues. I know, you brought but, up
0: about every problem passage in the whole Bible.
1: <laughs> but um, I do, th- uh, you know, uh, agree with you that the message of free forgiveness is a powerful message and, like, our source of, like, you know, living a, a joyful life of forgiveness toward others and Love toward others and so forth. So I guess just to kind of, um, wrap things up, you mentioned preaching to yourself. So what are your thoughts about, um, you know, preaching to yourself, but, um, or whatever else? Maybe it could be singing or maybe it could be work acts of love, but ways to, um, um, be feeling this grace where it's, um, we carry it with us day in, day out so that we're enjoying it, you know? Yeah, exactly. You want to be living free and you
0: want to be living joyfully and you don't want to, um, you know, badger people or anything. Uh, You want, you want to look for creative ways to introduce into a conversation. You know, that's why I say I love sharing the gospel because I can, you know, one of my best ways is I, I just show interest in other people. And I get them talking about themselves. And somehow, you know, I'm praying sometimes, show me a way to get the gospel in this conversation. And guess what? It, it usually happens. Give me 10 minutes with somebody, uh, at the, in the steam room or in the jacuzzi or someplace. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, the conversation will eventually go to Christ. And if you just show interest in other people, guess what? You know, oftentimes I'll ask them, well, what do you do? You know, and then I'll, you know, I'm a curious person, so uh then they'll ask now with me, it it it's pretty obvious because you know I write a syndicated column called Kids Talk About God. And if you wanna I'll say this to your audience, if you want to get those columns, we'll send you three a week for free. Go to our website, kidstalkaboutgod.org, God dot org, and we'll also send the column freely to your newspaper. And uh we're in about, I think about fifty papers now. We don't charge, so it doesn't cost anything. All your editor has to do is go and subscribe and confirm that by email, and they'll be getting the column for the paper every every uh, every week. So um, it's fun to share the gospel. And uh, I often believe, if you believe you're an ambassador, then isn't it kind of logical that if you're an ambassador – that God's going to lead you, you acknowledge, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your paths? Isn't he going to lead you to where you have these kinds of opportunities? I mean, it makes sense. I'm not here for myself. I'm here as an ambassador representing the court of heaven. What an exciting
1: life. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life.